Welcome to Rome Cuny Bible Church, where we desire to become a worshiping community of grace and truth by sharing the love of Christ locally and globally. Good morning. Good to see everyone. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you want to have your Bibles turned open to Ephesians 1, and we're just going to continue our time in Ephesians. Wanted to just tell Doreen thank you for kind of, she decorated for Veterans Day as we just had Veterans Day. Um, her and Ron, they open up their house and have a veterans dinner too, and just their heart for that. And so um, before we begin in God's word, but could I have, if you served in our country and are a veteran, if you could stand and like to just honor you and pray for you. So thank you. Okay. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you. So I'd like to pray for you guys and in our time into God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today and thank you for those who served our country, the veterans that we get to honor today here at Rome. And thank you for their sacrifice that they made and their family sacrifice. And just reminded of how we are even able to have church today and to be able to openly do that. We thank you for those uh, freedoms and gifts we have. But ultimately, Lord, I'm pointing to the greatest gift that one could ever have, and that's salvation found in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus even said that uh, he laid down his life for his friends. And what a great gift that Jesus did. Not only as he laid down his life, but for those in Christ to be called friends. Would you be most glorified today in our time as we look into your word, as there's preaching, um, that the Holy Spirit would bring it to our minds and hearts of your word? Lord, that we wouldn't just hear it and move on, but yet, Lord, we'd be changed. Thank you, God, that you brought us together. Thank you for this time. We love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever received an inheritance from maybe a family member that passed away or got something, they left you anything? It could be a large sum or something small like a painting. I don't know, but you received some kind of inheritance. I was reading about some random inheritances that people received, and one was from a man named Sergi Sudev, who's from Moldova, and he found himself the heir to 950 million euros when he had an uncle that he hadn't seen for 10 years died and left him all the money in his will. We'd all like to have a rich uncle like that, too. A woman named Kara Wood, who was a waitress, often served a widower who sat in her section. He was so impressed by her waitressing skills that he rewrote his will, and she inherited a half a million dollars when he died. That's some good service. And this one is very odd. Um, Somewhat. But a New York hotel owner, Leona Helmsley, left millions of dollars to her dog when she died. She also requested that her dog, the dog, which the dog's name was Trouble, was buried next to her remains when she died. So she was buried with Trouble. Um, but I'd like to know that dog too. You're like, man, this dog has millions of dollars. Regardless if you got a lot, you have a rich uncle or a dog, which I don't know. Um, anyway, that's a long thing to dissect about. Tell me about how this works. But 
we get to see that inheritance is something that you receive that someone gave you. I had in college a, a roommate or a person I knew. He wasn't quite my roommate, but on the same floor. But he had a family trust that he had this inheritance. And he didn't have to pay anything for college because it was part of the trust. That he was able to go to school. His books were included, everything. I'm like, man, that is nice to have. Well, here, Paul, we continue looking how Paul writes to the church in Ephesus about these Blessings, He calls them spiritual blessings. Really, he's talking about praising God for what we've received or what, would, what has been done in our lives. And you think about, Paul could have opened up many different ways. I mean, right away he introduces himself, who he is. He addresses the church in Ephesus. He calls them saints. He's like already saying by identifying them, look what Jesus has done. He could have introduced it by saying, yeah, I'm in prison. Here's my circumstance, but you know, God is good. And we would have said, yeah, that's true. But instead of going any direction about him personally, he just stops and he does verses 3 through 14 as one long run-on sentence in Greek. And it's just praising God for what? For salvation. If we were to summarize it, that's exactly what he's doing. He's praising God for salvation. If you read verses um, 3 through four with me, 14 with me, let's just read this section. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So again, he's saying, God's not holding out on you. He's giving you everything that's found in Christ. There's nothing more to come. The greatest gift has been given. What you have in Christ is it. Don't have to worry about more favor from God, because in Christ, we're the most favored. You don't have to worry about the best is yet to come, because the best has come. It's in Christ. He goes on to say, even as He chose us, verse 4, in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire a possession of it, to the praise of His glory. To kind of recap, as we've kind of hunkered down in this text for a few weeks now, really just looking at what are these spiritual blessings. He mentions first that God in His sovereignty has called those who are in Christ, having predestined from the beginning of time to His adopted children. He's saying those who are in Christ are part of this family that God has made in Christ. The words called and predestined is where God in His foreknowledge not only knows who will be saved, but is active in the process. Many passages show God's work in salvation, that is, by God, through God, in God. 
as we kind of correlate and we have always looked at Ephesians chapter 2, you have to look at it as a whole. What does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1? That we were dead in our sins and trespasses. That God alone is the one who makes us alive in Christ. That Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 9 says that we are saved by what? God's grace through faith. And not of our own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of our works that no one may boast. That is all what he's done. And so Paul is describing blessing after blessing to praise God, saying, let us really look at the depths of God's love for us, that we've been adopted. And then he uses another phrase, that we've been redeemed by the blood. He uses that phrase of saying that you have been purchased by Christ's blood so that it set you free from sin. That you were in bondage and you were oppressed and now you've been liberated and set free. He's pointing out that Jesus is the one we live in and for and we're united by Him and by faith in Him. That we share in His life, His death, His resurrection. That we share in the victory over sin and Satan and death. And this was from the foundation of time. Church, we have to understand that the gospel, what Jesus did, was not plan B. That through the Garden of Eden and the fall, that this is like the backup plan. No, this is the plan, the main plan, the perfect plan that's found in Christ alone. This is what Paul's praising God, saying, to Him who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, those blessings of salvation. He says that also not only we've been redeemed, and now today we'll look out, we received an inheritance of being able to hope in Christ all for the glory of God. We go from what God has done, that He has adopted us, that He's redeemed us, now we look at what we receive from God, an inheritance. Remember that phrase in Christ, verses 3 through 14. It's used either in Him or in Christ as you read that section. Eleven different times it's used. This isn't just an identifier. This isn't just to say, hey, um, Christian, because that's a way he would do it. But he's pushing into the fact that, do you understand what that means to be a Christian? It's not just that you're saved. Yes, that's part of it. But so much more that you're in Christ, that you share with Christ, that you're united with Christ. You're in union with Christ. For Paul, he was pointing out to the amazing work and ministry that Jesus did and unifying us with him. To be with Christ means that Jesus represents us. That comes as a legal term. In a sense, if we were found uh, before a court and there was a judge, Jesus is saying, I represent you, not just as our advocate, but the one that says it's been paid for, that we could say we're not guilty because the guilt has been put on Christ, who has set us free. The payment has been made. It's been put on his shoulders. God's judgment or wrath has been poured out on him. And so we see that there's that representation. But not only that, but Jesus as being fully God and fully man represents us and he knows us. He represents us and we are in him. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16 says this. Since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, son of God, Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one 
who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The author of Hebrews is pointing out not only Jesus as the true high priest and the role and function of the high priest, but notice he says he sympathizes with our weaknesses, that he knows us. Jesus, who was tempted but never gave in to temptation, knows us. And so to be united with him is that he knows you and we get to know him. He knows everything at the core of who we are. Nothing is hidden from him. And yet as he knows us, he takes on our placement and yet we get to receive his. We get to share not only with his life, who he lives perfectly and sinlessly. We share in his death which are death to our old self. We share in his resurrection. We're raised new in Christ. We share in Jesus' ascension, that there's a hope of heaven, and his glorification, that one day we'll truly be sanctified. All of it works together, and we share with this union with Christ. There's another passage Paul talks about this, and kind of to put it even more with our identity, is Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. He says, Indeed, As you can see up here, he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as what? Rubbish. Another, I think that's like British way of saying trash, right? Rubbish. It sounds fun to say, actually. We should do that. Side note, went into Canada and sitting down. I know this is how my mind works sometimes. Um, Just bear with me. Um, And I asked for a setting of silverware. And you know what they call it? cutlery and I said yes I'd like some cutlery with my rubbish no I'm just kidding but (laughs) cutlery I just found felt very proper to say it so sorry Jen okay pause really quick really uh, what he says he's counting his old self like everything that he could have bragged about he could have bragged about his pedigree he knew where he was in the tribe of uh, Israel he can define himself he's saying hey I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees I'm zealous for the law like he could have bragged on his own goodness and merit and work and all that stuff and what does he say it counts it as it counts it as rubbish you'll feel good when you say rubbish trust me so rubbish Counts it all as trash. Why? In order that I may gain who? Christ. He realizes his identity. What matters is in Christ. He goes on to say this. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of from God that depends on faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. So Paul's saying all of that, my identity, my past, the things that I can hang my hat on, really fail in comparison to knowing Christ, what I gain. When I was having knee surgery a while back. Jackson just started walking. It was like right at this time. I tore my ACL and I had to be like basically bedridden for a while. And if you've ever been bedridden, you don't like it, especially when you want to do something and they tell you not to do something, you know. And so I remember coming home and just it hit me all of a sudden so hard in a sense of like feeling like, oh, man, 
there's a lot of my identity found in doing things. You know, I had to sit down. Jackson started walking. I see my wife having to do way more stuff than she normally would have to do with three kids now walking, running, and craziness. And I'm just sitting there like, I can't do anything right now. Our water heater went out. And normally I would be like, okay, let's try to fix this. I had to rely on people from the church to do that. And I'm sitting there and they're doing the work. And I'm like, I wish I could help you. As they're dragging this water heater upstairs by themselves. And I'm like, I really wish I could help you. You know, like I feel bad. And I just remember this moment of like feeling so down because my identity was in what I felt was my worth, what I could do, what I could offer, my function. And I realized that like, man, I can't imagine because there's times that you may know your identity changes because health and maybe it's not like because you had knee surgery, but it was long term. Maybe your life has been altered and you can't do what you used to do. Maybe you went from healthy and all of a sudden you got the call and saying you have this. Or maybe you went from as a husband and, or wife and your identity is wrapped up and then they went home to be with the Lord. Or as a parent and you lost a child. See, our identity and all these things, yes, there are, there are markers in us, but what Paul's trying to push in for us as a Christian is to understand what matters. Because... The complexities of this life and the changingness of things and the hardships of this, we have to rest in the fact that, like he said, I count it all as trash. Meaning, who I am in Christ matters. It's in Christ. That matters more than it all. Through all the hardships. So when we think of the depths of God's love, when we think about the seriousness of our sins, when we think about God's patience and long-suffering towards us, how should we respond? It should be in praise. Notice the different times that Paul talks about praising God in this. Verse 3, it's one of praise. He goes on to say that it's to praise Him. Verse 6. and verse 12, it's about to praise Him in His glory. Verse 14, to praise Him of His glory. Many times I feel like we move on when we just say, well, yeah, okay, we're saved in Christ. Sweet, let's move on. Paul doesn't want to move on. He's saying, I'm going to look at this in different angles. That's why he talks about being adopted. That's why he talks about being redeemed. Then he talks about this inheritance. And then we'll later look at um, next week about being sealed by the Holy Spirit. All these are markings, if you will, of this spiritual blessing that the Christian has received. So let's look at our, uh, this blessing. Verse 11 again. He says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance. We see the in Him. What has the Christian received? An inheritance. Who is the one giving the inheritance? God. And how much does God have? He has everything. God has everything. Psalm chapter 50 verses 10 through 12 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in its fullness are mine. The psalmist is saying, look at God has everything. He has no need. You wouldn't even have to worry about if he had a need, because he doesn't have to have any need, because he has everything. So God, who's the one who gives the inheritance, who has everything, is the one who gives you everything. See, this is more than just wishing you had a rich uncle that left everything to you. No, it's more than that. 
He has everything. The inheritance that the Christian receives, though we must remind ourselves, it comes with a price. And what was that price? Because you may be thinking, like, I knew it. Nothing's free. That's it. That's true. Nothing is free. No. That price was Jesus' life. Jesus gave everything so we could gain everything. He gave himself freely so that we could have eternal life. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6 says, Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So he's praising God, saying, we have this inheritance that was, came at a cost to bring us into this family we receive. And there's two ways to interpret this phrase, inheritance. One is that the believer receives an inheritance, like a child receiving an inheritance from their family. And then the other part is knowing that we are his inheritance, like the heritage of God. Both references a Jewish person would understand, because this is all throughout the Old Testament. For example, what was Israel's inheritance? It was the land, God's promised land. Psalm 135 verse 12 says that, And God gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to His people. They received by God, from God, as being chosen people, that they received a plot of land. And then we read about how the tribes divvied up the the land to the different tribes and had that. But that was God's inheritance. But there's also the other side of this inheritance speech, is that they were God's inheritance or heritage. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 9 says, But the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is His allotted heritage. And so as a Jewish person would have understand this inheritance speech, so would a Gentile Christian, though, because inheritance was something that was passed down or given to children or the person in line and lineage. But what about for us today? See, Paul's talking about the Christian has received an inheritance. For those in Christ, you have received something. Well, one... Maybe it's not a plot of land as much as you want. Maybe you want property somewhere, Whatcom County, somewhere else. I don't know. The inheritance, though, we could say it's heaven, and that's a real place. That's something that a Christian receives. Jesus says that he has gone to prepare a place for us. That's for us. There's eternal life. Uh, Jesus gives short parables about this actual truth. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has to what? To buy that field. So there's this tangible aspect of heaven. There's an inheritance or this desire of. There's a parable after that. Jesus gives another one. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. And so there's that actual like truth to it, that we receive that, heaven, eternal life. But there's also, we are God's heritage. We're both. This is what is amazing, is what God did with us, in, or said, said, did by Christ in us and through us. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, a passage that I refer to often because it shows um, this newness, this identity aspect. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is addressing the same truth that Paul is saying. You're God's heritage as his people. We see the work that God did in Christ. Now he has this new nation, this new people group, if you will, that he's called you to. For those who are in Christ, we receive this inheritance, this promise of, of what Jesus did. This is identity language, saying that who we are in Christ and who we are in God as his people now. How we once were not a people, but now we're, in, uh, we're God's people. We get to be called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're his possession. Again, that, that heritage aspect. So just as much as we receive from God, we are his And we have that language being used. So we've been adopted, brought into a family, which we can't adopt ourselves. He did the work. We've been redeemed, which we can't purchase our freedom. He had to do it for us through his price, which was Jesus' life. And now we've received an inheritance, not by anything we have done or could do, but strictly what Jesus has done. And sometimes this is hard for us to grasp because it's not like as tangible just like a bank account when you would receive an inheritance. You're like, wow, there was a large deposit from my rich uncle. This is different because we don't always wrap our heads around it. But I want you to know that this inheritance is future and present. It's both. Future speaking, we know that there's one day that we get to have and obtain and enjoy the whole inheritance One day we get to be in the presence of the Lord with no more sin and sickness. One day we get to be like that. Yes. And that's hard for us to wrap our heads around because we haven't experienced it yet. This summer before school started, we did a trip to Southern California and we did make a trip to Disneyland. And just like uh, we, we knew what to expect so on, but if you've never been and you have a trip planned, something like that, you could watch um, videos, you could see kind of what the rides are, but it's different until you go there and then you get to experience, you know, the happiest place on earth was you stand in line for five hours for a ride. Um, but you get to go there. And so it's one thing different from talking about it and seeing it to being there. And so Paul's like, yeah, I know that's one thing to talk about heaven as he mentions in other places, but it's one thing to be there as he got to experience somewhat of it and tried to explain it as best he could. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 says, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul is trying to explain here in this passage, that there's this longing for. So yes, this is an inheritance that we receive is not yet, is to come, the longing for. And we know it's ours, but not yet. But it's also for us today, presently. It's not just a longing for the future. There's the ability that we have from God to endure hardships today because of the eternal life in Christ that is promised to the believer Let us look at this right now. So what does he say in verse 12? He says, In whom we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel of his will. That's verse 11. He's saying, look at God's plan. He presses that throughout this passage several times. 
But now he kind of talks about this inheritance. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. What does it mean to hope in Christ? Remember, it's not wishful thinking, like I hope this will happen or I wish this will happen. It's a way to mean the certainty that in Christ it will happen. It has happened. Look what Jesus has done. So today, Christian, we can walk in confidence that God has us in his hands no matter what happens. We can have this confidence as we go forward that He knows not only today, but He knows your tomorrow. And guess what? He knows your yesterday. Like He knows your past. And yet we could be confident that we could approach Him because of what Christ has done as we go forward for tomorrow. What a great thing. That our identity is found in Him. That we could face the next day and the next day because of who He is. That's what we'll see next week, that what it means to be sealed by the Holy Spirit, that there's this assurance or this reminder, who has us? We're marked by that He knows us. My son Jude, um, I love the fact that he isn't afraid of heights. Like I'm like, he's the kid that I'm going to say, okay, you get to climb the tall stuff when I get older, you know, as I get older. And like, you, you just keep climbing, buddy, because he doesn't care. He, I should say he cares, but he doesn't have fear of heights. Um, but they had a field, a field trip that had a climbing wall. And it was pretty tall. But I'm like, hey, you're going to do this? He's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, are you like nervous or scared at all? He's like, no, why would I? There's a harness. And I'm like, I love it. Like he just did. For him, it made sense. He's like, I don't have to second guess this. I'm wearing this thing that if I slip and fall, I'm not going to get hurt, you know. And he did. He did it multiple times, tried it, and just got worn out, tired kind of thing. But he just did it. A lot of times we walk in life, though, not with this confidence in who God is but more reserved, like, ah, oh, I don't know. When really, He knows your next day. He knows even when we have the bad news and we may go through the whys, how comes, and we forget that He's sovereign over all things, that He's in charge, that we are actually just called to follow Him and be obedient. See, the inheritance that the Christian has is for all eternity. You may not have much in this life, You may not have received anything from your family or they left you anything or maybe it was smaller than than anything or maybe you have received a lot but yet, guess what? In comparison to the inheritance that God gives those in Christ is inconsequential. We have the greatest gift. God who is wealthy upon wealthy. He's not holding out on you. You've received the greatest favor from God and you've been given this inheritance. The inheritance the Christian has received is in Christ, to be in Christ, to have this union with Christ. We have that for today, and we look forward to the time that we get to be with Him in person. And in closing, we're able to receive this inheritance, which is to hope in Christ, and it's all for the glory of God. Notice he says, so that those who are the first to hope in Christ, what is it? Might be to the praise of His glory. Did you know salvation, the work of salvation, is all for God's glory? He does it to be glorified. He's all about His glory. It's to be give Him glory. He's all about His fame to be na- His name to be known. His holy name. What a great thing to know is that we get to praise Him. The work that Jesus did in us and through us is for His glory, and then we get to point people to His glory. 
Israel's whole life and like what they're called was to be a witness to the surrounding nations, the one he called and gave an inheritance to, what was it for? It was so that the other nations would be blessed and to know him. Uh, the same is true for us, that the, those in Christ have received an inheritance of eternal life, to be with Christ. And what do we do? It's for his glory so that people would, what? Know him. That's what we get to do. For God to be known by the world, for his fame, his, uh, his holy name to be known, brings about salvation. We're called to be different than this world. We're called to be thinking about things about this world differently. We have different objectives of, than this world. And we're called to glorify Him. There's a gospel work in our lives. And we're called to praise Him to be gospel lights to this world. Will you pray with me, church? God, we thank You for Your Word and the reminder as Paul keeps on praising You for the work that Jesus did, salvation. For those who are in Christ to celebrate the fact that we've been brought into this family to be adopted as sons and daughters to praise You, God. God, we thank you for the work that Jesus did where we've been purchased, we've been redeemed from sin, that we've been set free and liberated, that we get to run to you and to know you, that not only what you have done, God, but what you give, you've given us eternal life from forgiveness of sins, this inheritance that we receive, that we get to be with Christ. And I pray that it would reflect and show in how we live our lives, Lord, as a church, individually, as we proclaim your excellencies to this world. Lord, for those that don't know you, that they would understand that you love them greatly, that Jesus died for them, took their sin, their punishment, the weight of sin, and rose again conquering sin and death. God, I pray that you would uh, call them as they respond to you, they would turn from sin and follow you. God, I pray for us as those who are in Christ the church, that we would not only hear your word, but we would live it out now. Your hand would be upon us as we go forward. Help us, Lord, as you place us here in Whatcom County to be lights to this world. Would you be most glorified knowing that you're glorified through salvation and the work of salvation? May we point people to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And if you would like more information, please visit rcbcbellingham.com.